there's a, there's a good chunk of stuff. Oh, good to see you. Welcome to the tapestry. <laughs> Happy that you could join us in worship today. But really, there is a good chunk of stuff that I, I want to get through today. Um, so we're just going to dive right in because today, I don't know if you know, but is a very special day in the church calendar. Today is what we would call Ascension Sunday. And so today is the time in the church calendar where we remember when the resurrected Jesus went to the Mount of Olives with his disciples and he ascended into heaven before their very eyes. Now, why I want to just dive straight into what we're talking about today is because what I have noticed in churches, and I've been going to church for a little bit, what I've noticed about churches is that we will often talk about the significance of the incarnation. So we'll talk about the significance of Christ taking on flesh and dwelling with us, his people. We also, at church, I find we talk about the significance of the crucifixion often. We talk about the significance of how Christ would die on a cross for our sins. Right? And we even talk about the significance of the resurrection at church. We talk often about how Jesus rose again, beating the sins, defeating the sins of death, or defeating the enemies of death and sin, and so giving us new life in him. But one thing I do notice is that we don't talk about Christ's ascension nearly as much. We don't talk about the ascension as much as we do the incarnation, the crucifixion, or the resurrection. And so today, I would like to spend all of our time to talk about the ascension because it's kind of a big deal. And we're going to start today by looking at our passage in Acts that describes this moment, describes the ascension, okay? So we're going to start here, Acts chapter 1. You can follow me as I read or you can find it in your Bibles or wherever, however you want to do it. But it starts like this, and this is written by Luke. And so he's writing, in my former book, which is a gospel of Luke, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized you with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then... They gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And what the disciples are asking at this point are, in not so many words, Lord, are you bringing the kingdom now? Are you, is your kingdom coming now? And Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So this is our text for today. It describes Jesus' ascension. And through this text, what I want to look at are two main things. Number one, 
what the ascension means for the ministry of Christ. We're going to spend most of our time here. What the ascension means for the ministry of Christ. And then number two, we'll talk about what the ascension means for the church. Because the ascension tells us a lot about the ministry of Christ and the church. But first, I think we need to talk about this word, ascension. You know, a lot of the times when we think of this word, we think of it primarily in spatial terms, right? Like Jesus just went higher and higher and higher in the sky like some kind of hot air balloon. But you know, the other way that we can understand this word ascension is not spatially like from one position to another, but we can see the ascension as more about status and power. Like when someone becomes a king or a queen, they ascend the throne, right? And there's something spatial that can be happening there, like they could be going up some steps or something like that. But the far more important thing that's happening is that this new king or this new queen has ascended in status. They somehow have more power and they have more authority than they did before. Now, just to give you a little picture into my mind, um, I wanted to show you guys how hip I am with it and how cool I am as your campus pastor. So I wanted to come up with a Game of Thrones example to illustrate this because that's what's all over my Twitter feed. That's what's happening. That's what's current and all of that stuff. And as, I, I've never seen Game of Thrones before, so as I was like, kind of like digging through all this stuff, um, I thought about a much better example. So hear me out. You know the film Kung Fu Panda, right? <laughs> I'm not kidding, man. This is so good. Okay, so you know the film Kung Fu Panda, right? There is this character in Kung Fu Panda, and his name is Master Wu Kui. And this is my namesake. I'm Albert Wu, Master Wu Kui. And Master Wu Kui, he's like this turtle. And he is the greatest and wisest Kung Fu master in the valley. And at one point, Master Wu Guai is having a conversation with his student that happens to be a red panda. Just wait until I land the plane before you judge me. But like, he's just like having this conversation with this red panda. And then Master Wu Guai, he becomes so great that he just kind of disappears in front of his student. It's like he rises above it all. Like, he ascends so much, he transcends. Do you know what I mean? Like, he becomes so great, he transcends. He's, like, on this whole different level now. And I think that that is a far better way to understand Jesus' ascension. Like, now, his power and authority are on a whole different level than when he was on earth. And so, one way that we can understand the importance of Jesus' ascension is that we see that it takes Jesus' ministry to a whole nother level. And I want to show you three examples of this really quick. I want to show you how Jesus' intimacy, how his advocacy, and how his authority are all taken to a whole nother level because of the ascension. So, so first, his intimacy, right? Thanks to the ascension, Jesus' ministry has a much greater intimacy. You know, in many ways, when Jesus was on earth, he was both a prophet and a rabbi. He was a prophet and a rabbi. Prophets were messengers of God, and they would communicate God's word to his people. And rabbis, on the other hand, they would show you how to live your life according to God's words. 
And Jesus, he was the word. So who better than Jesus to do both of those things, to communicate God's word to you and show you how to live your life according to God's words. That's what Jesus did, right? And in, in the ancient Near East, though, learning from a rabbi is, is not like sitting in a classroom. Right? Learning from your rabbi is, is much, much, much more intimate than that. A rabbi taught you how to live life by doing life with you. To follow a rabbi is to become so involved in your rabbi's life that, um, that you start to grow to be more like them. It's kind of like how, you know, a grandma and grandpa, they live together for so long, they start to know what each other is thinking. They even start to kind of like look like each other. They start to know what to order for each other at restaurants and stuff like that. It's kind of like that, being so close to someone that you start to be like them. You start to, to know what they're thinking, all of those things. So, Jesus was God taken on flesh and coming down, choosing disciples and showing his disciples God's words and God's ways by doing life together with them. Man, it's hard to imagine how you get more intimate than that, right? It's hard to imagine how you do better, how you get closer than that. But you know, near the end of Jesus' time on earth, he kept on telling his disciples that he was leaving. Right? He kept on telling his disciples he's going to go ascend. He's going to go to his father's house. And then we read in John chapter 16, Jesus actually tells his disciples, guys, it's better that I go. It's better that I ascend. Why? Because it's only when Jesus ascends that he can send the gift of the Holy Spirit to us. It's only when Jesus ascends that he can send the gift of the Spirit so thanks to Christ's ascension, we all receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And yes, Jesus, when he was walking on earth, was close to his disciples. But church, the Spirit is even closer to us. Because yes, Jesus walked with his disciples. He ate with his disciples. He slept with his disciples. But there were times when Jesus was apart from them. There were times when he was talking with other people or he was going off to pray or he was focused on something else. But the Spirit is inseparable from us. The Spirit is with us wherever we go. And the Spirit not only leads us, not only guides us, not only teaches us, but the Spirit also empowers us to know Christ and be more like Christ. And so thanks to the ascended Christ, we have an even greater intimacy with God than we did before. We will never be apart from the presence or the guidance of God because of the ascended Christ. Even in the darkest of places, even in the heaviest locked room, even in the deepest depths, God will be near to us and guide us. So, and not only does Jesus' ascended ministry give us a greater intimacy with God, thanks to the ascension, we also receive a greater advocacy from him. You know, in a general sense, an advocate is somebody who is for you, right? An advocate will speak for you. An advocate will defend you. They'll support you. They will lift you up. And church, what I want us to see is that in Jesus' ministry on earth, in just calling people to follow him, he was advocating for him. And just calling people to be his disciples, Jesus was advocating for them. Why? Well, because being a rabbi was a very respected and a very prominent um, position in ancient Near Eastern culture. It was saved for the best and the brightest. 
And so at the time uh, that Jesus was alive, being called to follow a rabbi was like better than suddenly being given a full scholarship at Harvard Law, right? It was that prominent. It was that important. It was like you were given this whole new identity, like whatever you were before, it doesn't matter because now you're a rabbi. And one of the fascinating things and amazing things about Jesus' ministry on earth is he called and accepted sinners to follow him. He called and accepted outcasts and people who were unworthy he graciously gave them this new identity of being his disciples, of being his followers. You know what, church? Now that Jesus has ascended, he is still advocating for the sinner. He is still advocating for the outcast. He was still advocating for the unworthy. But not only for us to be his disciples, no, but for us to also be called children of God. You know, in a legal system, your advocate before the judge would be a lawyer. And in Jesus' time, your advocate before God would be your priest. And so in the book of Hebrews, Jesus is called our great high priest. And that be, that's because on the throne, Jesus stands in our place. Jesus represents us before God so completely that when God looks at us, he does not see our failures. He does not see our sin. He does not see our unworthiness. But instead, he sees the perfection of Christ our great high priest, our advocate. So thanks to the ascended Christ, we have these new identities as children of God. So church, if you're in here and you feel like a failure, if you feel like an outcast, if you feel insignificant, I would charge you to remember the ascension, to believe in the ascension, because it's through the ascension we are given these new wonderful identities as children of God. And because we have these new identities, we can approach God with confidence, knowing that he is our heavenly father. Okay, so now, the ascended Jesus, he does not only give us a greater, this is like an infomercial, not only a greater intimacy, not only a greater advocacy, but thanks to the ascension, Jesus also has a greater, what, authority. That's the last thing that we're going to talk about, right? Because during his time on earth, Jesus had an authority about him. Right? He, so on earth, he still ha he had authority. He talked with authority. He spoke with authority. He forgave people of their sin with authority. He told the wind and the waves what to do, and the wind and the waves listened to him. But now, because of the ascension, Jesus has an even greater power and an even greater authority. Ephesians chapter 1 reminds us that Jesus is now on this cosmic throne. He is seated in glory and honor at the right hand of the Father. And he is now ruling and reigning over all things. And so thanks to the ascended Christ, we can hold fast to the truth in Romans chapter 8 that says, God works for the good of those who love him. We can be assured that things like tragedy and heartache and injustice will never have the last word in our lives because King Jesus... He is on the throne, and he is a good king, and he is slowly and surely advancing his kingdom on earth, and he is slowly restoring and redeeming all things to himself. And so, church, I hope we're starting to see that the ascension is not so much about where Jesus is leaving or where he has left, and it is much more about where Jesus is arriving where he has come. 
It's about him being so glorified and magnified on the throne that now he is an even greater prophet. He is an even greater priest. He is an even greater king than he was on earth. And because of that, we can receive the promise of an even greater intimacy, of an even greater advocacy, and an even greater authority from him. And so, right, the ascension tells us something very important about the ministry of Jesus. It tells us something very important about the ministry of Jesus. And it also tells us something very important about the ministry of the church. This is the last thing that we're going to talk about today. How the ascension, what the ascension tells us about the ministry of the church. And if anything, the ascension should remind us that a central part of what it means to be the church is that we come together in unity to worship King Jesus, right? If anything, the ascension should remind us that a big part of being the church is we come together to worship King Jesus, right? It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you come from. We gather to lift Jesus up and submit to his ways. That's how we roll as a church. And here's the thing. The more we acknowledge the more we praise Jesus as a head of the church, the more we will acknowledge that Jesus has called us to be his hands and feet to the world. In other, way, in other words, the more we're drawn upward into worship of Christ, the more we will be sent outward into the mission of Christ. And I like how the Swiss theologian Emil Brunner puts it. He says, the church exists for mission like Fire exists for burning. The church exists for mission like fire exists for burning. In other words, because Christ has ascended, we exist to live out of the ministry of Christ. So we exist to preach the gospel. The mission of Christ is to go and make disciples of all nations. We live out of that mission. We live to be Jesus' witnesses to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And you know, if that is true... If the church exists for mission because of the ascended Christ, because how we respond to the ascended Christ is to live into the mission of Christ, then it gives us a very powerful way to properly see and understand the church. And I think this is really important because in our hyper-individualistic, in our hyper-consumeristic culture, it's very easy to get a distorted picture of what church actually is. And I'll give you a concrete example of this. You know, there are... Uh, I'm a pastor, so I talk about church a bunch. It just kind of ends up happening when people find out I'm a pastor. Like, either they don't want to talk to me anymore, <laughs> anymore or they're kind of interested and we, we kind of chat um, and stuff like that. And, you know, when I talk to, so I've talked to a lot of different people about church. And when I talk to people about church, I find that often church can be evaluated in the same way that you would evaluate a cruise ship. Right? So church can be evaluated in the same way that you would evaluate a cruise ship. Like there are, there are many times when people ask me about church, they ask me questions like, so do they have, put on a good show? Like are the musicians good? Is the speaker good? Like is, is that good? Are the Sunday services, you know? Or they'll ask stuff like, so uh, will the staff take care of me? Right? Do they have programs and activities that I like? Or is there good food? Right? Will they, well, are my needs going to be met when I go to this church? You know, like just questions that you'd ask if you're choosing a cruise ship for vacation. 
But you know, if the church exists to worship Christ and live out of Christ's mission for the world, then the church is not a cruise ship at all. Actually, the boat that J. Warner Wallace uses to describe the church is a rescue boat. Wallace says if the church is anything, it's more like a rescue boat. And I think that's such a beautiful picture of the church. Because on a rescue boat, everyone submits to the authority of their captain, right? And everyone lives out of this clear mission to seek and to save. And this mission is so important that it trumps individual comfort. This mission is so important that it trumps what kind of food they're serving in the galleys. This mission is so central that there is no distinction between a passenger or a crew member because everybody is called to contribute and to serve in this greater mission. So church, let me ask you individually, how are you treating church today? How do you see the church today? Are you treating it more like a cruise ship or more like a rescue boat? Because look, if you're treating church like a cruise ship, you will find yourself more inwardly focused, more and more and more chasing after your own comfort and your own needs within the church. You'll find yourself less and less invested in Christ's call to mission. And because of that, you won't be able to grow. And not only that, you will not be satisfied in the church because that was never the type of boat the church was made to be. Jesus is not the captain of a cruise ship. And if you expect Jesus to be the captain of a cruise ship, not only will the church disappoint you, but he will disappoint you as well. Because your comfort and meeting your demands is not his primary concern. But church, if you see the church as what it's created to be, if you see the church like it's a rescue boat, yes, it will be more tiring. <laughs> right? Yes, it will be less comfortable but you'll also grow in faith and fellowship with others as you serve alongside them. You will find a much deeper satisfaction knowing that you are participating in something significant and something worthy. And perhaps most important, it will draw you closer to the head of the ship. It will draw you closer to the captain of the ship, Jesus. Because let's take a look around this and be real for a second. If the church is a rescue boat, then we are all in way over our heads, are we not? We are just a collection of misfits, a collection of broken people, a collection of sinners saved by grace. And so the only way we are going to carry out the mission of Christ is to turn to the help and the fellowship of the ascended Christ. And if we turn to him, even though the mission in front of us might look great and might look difficult, we need not fear because the ascended Christ is even greater, and he will preserve us and keep us all the way from now until he returns to us again in glory. And so, church, let me encourage us in all things. Let us look to Jesus, our great prophet, our great priest, our great king, our true teacher, our true advocate, our true Lord. And in so doing, may we tur be turned out into the world so that we might live full and victorious and meaningful lives in him. Thank God Christ's ascension is not about how high in the sky he is, but is about how great and powerful he has become. Let's pray. Heavenly Lord, we 
we thank you that you are the captain of this ship. And we thank you that even when we could not save ourselves, we could not do anything to, to get ourselves on board, that, you know, we in our sin, like in our, in our fallenness, in our brokenness, like we couldn't reach you, you came down. You came down to rescue us and save us and not only to do that, but to bring us on board with you and have us join in your mission of rescuing and saving. Lord, we thank you that not only have you saved us, but you have put us in a place where we can go out with great purpose and great um, um, meaning in our lives to go and be a part of your rescue mission for the world. And so, Lord God, we just pray. God, I don't pray for an easy life for us. I don't pray for a comfortable life with us. I don't pray for um, to, to get everything that we want and expect out of life. But what I do pray for is that as you take us on, that you might bring us into storms, you might bring us into difficulty, you might bring us into hardship, you might bring us into challenges. But as you do, as we follow you, the ascended Christ, wherever you might lead us, may we know that you are with us. May we know that you have us. May we know that there is nothing on earth that can separate us because you are for us and you are with us. You are the captain of our ship and you will not let us drown. So Lord, let us hold on to that. If anything, let us hold on to that. Because if we think that you're just going to make us happy and content and all of that stuff, we'll be disappointed. But if we know that through all circumstances, you are with us and you are drawing near and you are leading us on, that can be something that we can live for and something that we can live with. So we pray that for, for all of us. In your son's precious name and powerful name, we pray.